Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Hello, everybody. My name is Dot, and I am addicted to alcohol, drugs, men, and anything else that'll change my mood, child, okay? Uh, I did it. Here they are. All right. Uh, first of all, let me thank you. Thank you guys for inviting me out tonight to do this, okay? It's, it's awesome getting invited to go anywhere, and when somebody invites me to tell my story, I really find it very enlightening. Okay, uh, but let me tell you something. I talk kind of fast, you guys. So, um, I go to a meeting one night. I had to share in meeting one night, and after the meeting was over, this guy comes up to me. He says, "I know God must have been really speaking through you." Boy, my ego went all over the place. I'm thinking I must have said something really profound for him to think I was speaking through me, right? So I said, "Well, what about that I said that made you think I was speaking through me?" He said, "Oh, about anything you said." But under your own power, you couldn't possibly talk that fast. <laughs> so I'm going to try to slow down, guys, okay? Um, they say in a general way, I'm supposed to tell you what I was like, what happened, and what I'm like now. Well, I was born and raised during segregation, guys, okay? I remember, oh, first of all, I was at birth, I was born at 13 and a half pounds. All right, I was a big kid, big baby. And, and never lost in a weight, y'all, okay? So I, I basically remember, uh, by the way, y'all, I have allergies. My nose is running. I don't know if I think I'm doing cocaine up here, but no, I'm not. I thought I better tell y'all that right away, okay? <laughs> allergies are acting up on me today, okay? Anyway, back to what I was saying. Anyway, uh, what was I saying? Oh, born fat kid. Never lost any weight. And uh, I was, uh, my, my, I, I think, I really think I was born an addict. I really think I was born addicted to something, okay? But anyway, needless to say, I grew up a fat kid. And by the time I was 11 years old, I mean, no, no, let me go back a little bit. I was five years old. And the kids would call me fat, so they would call me fatty. And I remember, I didn't like that, y'all. But I felt less than, all right? I really didn't feel like I, I belonged anywhere, y'all, okay? As I grew up, you guys, that was when I was five. Six years old, Mama took me downtown. And we were downtown. And I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, by the way, which was totally segregated at the time I grew up. So I went downtown with Mama, and I was just learning how to read. And she, she went inside to use, she to use the bathroom and left me outside. And there were two water fountains standing there. One said white and one said colored. I had never seen colored water before. <laughs> so I went over and turned the colored water on. It was clear. I said, oh, the white water must look different. So when I turned the white water on, it was clear. I said, what's up with this? Y'all don't know my, now my, my, my inquisitive head told me something's wrong with this picture. So I go back over, and um, I tasted the white, the color water again, and it was just, it was clear, okay? So I go back over and taste the white water, and so I'm getting ready to reach over and dish the white water. Mom comes out of the bathroom, jerks me inside, baby, you cannot drink out of the white water fountain. So I'm trying, Mama, but it's just water. It's just clear water, Mama. She said, baby, but you're colored. You can't drink out of the white water fountain. 
you guys, and that was the second time my ego started to go low. Okay, I had no no self esteem, guys. Okay, not only am I fat, but I'm colored and fat. So I knew I was messed up from the beginning, y'all. Okay, but life goes on. Uh, I had a pretty interesting. I had a, had a pretty interesting childhood. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing, but life goes on. I went to college. <laughs> Let me go back some. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Um, yeah. Okay, that's it. Race and segregation. Nine years old. I was nine years old. Daddy leaves the family, y'all, okay? And um, he left, and I, I swore it was my fault. Not only am I fat and black, but I can't even keep a daddy, y'all, okay? Daddy leaves the family. He's, I swore it was my fault that he left the family, okay? However, uh, I don't know what daddy's reason for leaving was, y'all, but at nine years, I was, I was nine years old at this time. After daddy left, my oldest brother started sexually molesting me, and I never told anybody, okay? Because he told me, I told about he told me I was lying, so I never told anybody. But I don't think I wanted to tell anybody. I don't know why I didn't tell anybody, okay? Because I didn't think mom would believe me anyway, because we might have no self-esteem. Nobody's going to believe nothing I tell him anyway, so I never told anybody, okay? So this goes on for a while, okay? Uh, mama decided I was too fat, and she took me to the doctor, and they gave me diet pills, they told me to take one a day. However, the first time I took the first, it was amphetamines, y'all. The first time I took the first one, I wanted to run around the house 10, 15 times. I got up, I was feeling good, y'all. I just wanted to run around the house five or six times. And by the afternoon, it was wearing off. So my nine-year-old head said, if you take another one, you'll feel good all over again. Needless to say, y'all, my 30-day supply was gone 15 days, okay? And I had no idea what to do. However, some of the kids in the neighborhood, the young men in the neighborhood knew I was getting diet pills. So they started paying for me to go to the doctor and get diabetes. I, I had five prescriptions, y'all, at the doctor's, okay? This was, this was before the HIPAA laws came in, and I didn't get caught doing that, okay? But I had, I had five prescriptions going to get diabetes, selling them to the guys in the neighborhood, okay? Now, Mama decided to figure that I ain't losing no weight, so she took me out the diabetes. I don't know what would have happened otherwise, but I was about 13 now, and some of the older guys in the neighborhood got together and says, uh, they, 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 some kind of way they got a hold of a fifth of vodka. And they said, you drink vodka, your parents won't smell it. So they got a hold of this fifth of vodka. And needless to say, the first time I ever drank, I drank alcoholically, okay? Y'all, I got drunk as a skunk that first night, okay? Going home, throwing up sick as a dog, like rubbing down. I ain't going to ever taste vodka, never no more. To this day, I don't even know what vodka tastes like. I swear like I never took vodka again. However, the next time they got together, this time they got scotch. I think it was some kind of cheap stuff, like cut stock or something. So they get together, we all drinking this time. And this time, they all had a pint. So I didn't get drunk. But I had just enough alcohol in me to make me feel powerful. Y'all know what I mean? So I go home this night, and my brother starts his routine with me. And I had no uncertain terms told him, if you ever touch me again, I'm going to kill you. And I meant it from the bottom of my heart, y'all. So he never touched me again, okay? Now, in my little 12-year-old head, 13-year-old head, however I was a while, my head said, Vodka is bad to make you sick. Scotch is good. <laughs> so every time I started, every time I went out, I would ask people, they would say, what you want to drink? We'd get scotch. So I drank scotch all the way up, okay? Okay. Uh, went to college, guys. Got a degree. Integrated the college I went to. That was the second class to go into, second black class to go into the college. And it was no fun, but I went to college anyway, okay? Uh, today that college has a lot of black folks, okay? Uh, <laughs> Get out of college, get married to a wonderful drug addict. 
<laughs> Didn't know he was, but he got married to a wonderful drug addict, okay? Of course, y'all know the marriage failed. Marriage failed drastically, okay? And I really had no skills for coping with anything like that. I had no skills for coping. So what do I do? I try to kill myself, y'all. My husband's gone. I try to kill myself. That didn't work right. Every time I try to commit suicide, y'all, they find me, pump my stomach out, and I wake up. I think I'm dead, y'all, and I wake up. Y'all, talking about in, uh, incomprehensible demoralization, y'all. That's what I felt like every time I woke up when I thought I was dead. All I wanted to do, guys, I, all my life, all I wanted to be was happy. That's all I wanted to be was happy. I didn't want nothing else to be happy. I didn't know how to find it. I didn't know where it was. So I keep on going out. Okay, my life goes on. I was completely miserable, y'all, in this world, completely miserable, and didn't have a clue what to do. I found fleeting moments of happiness. You know, I found, I, I, started, I tried geographic cures. I lived in 11 cities in 10 years, and every time I moved to a new city, I found new people. I'd have a good time. And all of a sudden, I'd be miserable again. I did not have any idea what to do to get unmiserable, you guys. No idea what to do. So uh, life goes on. I, I, I go on, and uh, finally, you guys, in 1985, I had gone to the underground, and oh no, I had gone to a pinnacle party that night. I had a couple of drinks. I hadn't had too many. I had, I had a couple of drinks. Okay, that's all I had. So I got home at night, you guys, and I get home, and I start feeling this pain in my chest. Anyway, they take me to the hospital. I had a heart attack, and they told me to leave all stimulants alone, like drugs, alcohol, leave all stimulants alone. <coughs> I said, okay. I was scared. So I went home that evening, and I was really scared, y'all. I remember what I felt. See, what happened was I'm standing there, and I'm in the emergency room on the, on the emergency room table, and they they doing they doing the jaws of life to get me back to life. Cause they, no, that's not happen. I'm on the emergency room table, y'all. <laughs> y'all forgive me for this. I'm on the emergency room table, and my heart rate is steadily going up, but my blood pressure is steadily dropping. All right, I think they said my heart rate was up to. 232 beats a minute, but my blood pressure is dropping. Anything they did to bring the blood pressure down, we've also brought the, everything they did to bring the heart rate down, we've also brought the blood pressure down, so they know what to do. So I'm laying there, and I swear to God, I can still remember my whole body is coming up off the table, my heart is beating so fast. So finally, you guys, I, I was laying there, and all of a sudden, everything went dark. And I saw this white light way down at the end of the corridor, right there, white light. I kept trying to get to that white light, y'all. And by that time, I heard him say, we got a back man. See, I died back there on that table, okay? And they used those jobs of life to bring back to life. But I still remember that, what that felt like. You guys scared me to death, okay? So I swore off. I ain't going to never drink nothing else as long as they I live. I had done it before. Don't get me wrong. I had done it before a lot of times, okay? Now, that weekend, the next weekend, my oldest brother was an entertainer. And they had a show in Savannah, Georgia. So I get, get up and drive to Savannah, my brother's show. So I get to Savannah, guys, and I'm backstage, okay? And up comes this good-looking man, and we started dating, okay? He played, I knew he played guitar for the other group. But now I'm backstage on their side, on their dressing room side, and he didn't know who I was. He, I mean, he'd seen me before because I've been to the show before. But anyway, we started dating, okay? Uh, 23rd love of my life, y'all, okay? 23rd love, believe me, 23rd man. He lived in Los Angeles, and I lived in Atlanta. And I didn't know how. We saw each other a couple of times. We go to shows, saw each other a couple of times at shows and stuff. Now, then he called me one night. About two weeks later, he called me on the phone. He said, I said, what, baby? He says, um, I'm a cocaine addict. 
and I just dropped a drug deal. They're going to kill me if they find me. I need to come to Atlanta. Come on to Atlanta, baby. He said, but first let me tell you, I'm a cocaine addict. Oh, come on to Atlanta, baby. We got plenty of cocaine down here. <laughs> and I know where to get it, okay? <laughs> you know? It was funny, you guys. Anyway, he gets to, he gets to Atlanta. Let me tell you how, uh, he gets to Atlanta. Let me tell you how I was living when he gets here. Now, I'm a computer, I didn't tell you this. I got a job as a computer programmer. I was making $55,000 a year, 1985. Making $55,000 a year, which was quite a good salary for a woman, a black woman in, in, that, in that time. But here's how I was living here. My, I had two TVs. One on top gave me the picture, one on the bottom gave me the sound, okay? <laughs> I, my bed was on the floor, I didn't have a frame. And I didn't understand how I was living like that. I just thought that's what life's supposed to be. Everybody I knew was the worst. You know, I never hung out with anybody who was better off than me. I only hung out with people who were worse off than me because I didn't want to look bad. You know what I mean? So anyway, he comes to Atlanta, and he had been going to these meetings in California, these cocaine anonymous meetings in California. So he gets to Atlanta. He asks me, he said, Doc, um, do they have CA here? I don't have CA what? had no idea what it was. I said, I don't know, baby. So I looked in the good little girlfriend, looked in the phone book. And I found a cocaine anonymous meeting. Baby, they got one here. So he said, okay. He, said, he told me he had to go to, he had to, go to one to, 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 to take care of his own addiction. So I looked the phone up, up, found the phone number. It was at Paces Ferry Hospital. I remember this real well. I got dressed up, y'all. High heel shoes, everything. Go to the CA meeting with him. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm going to see cocaine addicts. Now, I have no, no idea what a cocaine addict is, okay? But in my head, I had a picture of what a cocaine addict looked like. I walk in this meeting, y'all, and these men are looking good and smelling good. I'm like, these can't be cocaine addicts. But anyway, I walk on in anyway, okay? Now, bad part about y'all, me and him are only two black folks in the room. Everybody's room was white. My first thought was, dog, we in Georgia now, remember? I bet I came to a KKK meeting by mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Of y'all, I went and looked for the robes and the hoods and shit. Cause fine, I know okay. <laughs> they had all kind of stupid signs all over the wall too. They said, "In order to keep it, you got to give it away." Well, how the hell y'all keeping to give it away at the same time? <laughs> Another sign said, "The elevator to sobriety is broken. You got to take the steps." And I walked all over that building looking for an elevator, y'all, and couldn't find one. Okay, couldn't find one nowhere. All right. So I came back to my seat and sit down. Now it happened to be they were talking about the second step that night. Now, I didn't tell y'all this, but on one of my suicide attempts, I heard him say, don't tell the police she did it intentionally or they put her in the insane asylum. So I know it was a crazy woman when I got here. I know it was crazy, y'all, okay? But I didn't think nobody else had found out yet. It just so happened y'all on that second step that night, y'all talking about insanity. I sat there and I listened, okay? I listened, I listened to everything y'all said that night. And I'm thinking, well, you know, maybe I am insane. But anyway, at the end of the meeting, y'all got this big circle. And y'all said, keep coming back. I still remember thinking, what for? I still remember thinking that, y'all, okay? So we came back to the next night. Now, remember now, he got the problem, I ain't got no problem. Came back to the next night, and we go to these meetings. I, they, he's tell, his name was, and he was an addict. They get to me, my name is Dot, and I'm here with him. And that's how I introduced myself for 30 days, y'all, okay? Because you see, I didn't think I had a problem. I really thought I could stop, y'all. I did not think I had a problem. So we went to a meeting at 8111 one night. And this lady told my story, Okay. I heard my story being told. She was the same kind of alcoholic that I was, okay? You see, I still had a job when I got here. I still had, I still had, I still had a phone in my name. I mean, because it was getting cut off every five, every three or four weeks at a time, but I still had one. I had a car. 
I cannot tell you his name on the contract because I have no idea, okay? I went to a whole lot of white-collar crime when I got here, y'all, okay? But she told my story. So, okay, maybe, maybe. Now, that's why I decided, okay, so I started introducing myself as an alcoholic. My name is Dot, and I'm an alcoholic, okay? Of course, when I did, all the ladies in the room rushed over to me. Baby, we knew you were one of us. We're just glad you admitted that you're one of us, okay? <laughs> but anyway, they told me to buy a big book. Nobody told me to read it. They said, go to 90 Means and 90 Days, buy a big book, and don't drink no matter what. I can do all that, okay? I bought the book. Nobody said, read it, y'all. Y'all said, buy one, okay? <laughs> y'all told me I had to learn how to trust. Because I didn't trust nobody. Y'all told me I had to get a female sponsor. And I was no, 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 no. I want a man, not a woman. <laughs> but they told me all this dumb stuff, okay? So I was, I was going to try to be, try to do what they told me to do. But you know, I kept saying the things to me like, Dot, you got to learn to trust somebody. So I'm wondering, how y'all expect me to trust you when nobody even tell me your last name? My name's Sally H., you know. <laughs> After not drinking and drugging for a few hours, my life is going great. Things are going fantastic, y'all, okay? I got money in my pocket. I know where every pin of it is that ain't there. I know who I slept with last night. I can remember if it was good or not, that kind of stuff. You know, sobriety is great. I think sobriety is wonderful, y'all. They have an ounce of it, okay? I did some drive time, okay? Uh, everything's going really good. Except that I go to meeting with you guys. We go out to dinner afterwards. Three hours a day, my life was fantastic. Three hours a day. The other 21 was still screwed up pretty bad, y'all. And all I ever wanted was for them other 20, other three to say I got 21 fed, but I was, them other 21 felt like I got fed with the three hours with you guys. And I didn't know how to make that happen. So, uh, I kept going to these meetings. I'm, y'all, y'all, I had to, I heard that talk about working steps and stuff, but I hadn't planned to do none of that. I mean, I went that bad. I really want that bad, I think, okay? I ain't gonna work no steps in there. I'm not just gonna go here, hang out with y'all. See, I thought my problem was alcohol and drugs. I thought that was my problem. I didn't realize what my problem really was, y'all. My problem was me. I didn't even realize that. So one night, I remember this real vividly, y'all. One night, I wanted to, I was kind of horny, y'all. And my boyfriend came home, and he says to me, he says to me, he wanted to help me. I was, I was horny. But he said he said he was tired or something. He didn't feel like it. But that ain't what I heard. You know, what I heard was, I don't like you, bitch. I don't have sex with you. That's what I heard. Because I heard every, didn't feel nothing right. So I started boohooing and crying. Y'all told me when I had a problem, call my sponsor. So I'm boohooing and crying. I called my sponsor. She said, babe, 30 at night, y'all. I forget to tell you how this. I called my sponsor. She said, babe, what's wrong? I said, I threw tears. I told her what was wrong. I wanted to have sex. My boyfriend didn't like me no more. She said, baby, hey, read the big book. Read the big book, ma'am. I want to have sex. Who read the big book for? <laughs> she said, babe, but I tell you what. She said, go get, go, go get the big book and read it. I said, okay, I can do that. So I went and found it, y'all. Dusted it off because it's dusted so I'll get out. I went and found the book, dusted the book off. And I said, what do you want me to read? She said, what doesn't matter. Just open the book, whatever page you turn to read that book and come back tomorrow. Okay? So help me God. I went and found the book, y'all. And I promise y'all, I opened the book up. But didn't know, just open the book up. I promise the first thing that hit my eye on the very top line of the page was the word S-E-X. Well, shoot. Maybe this book got something I need to read. Y'all know what I'm talking about? <laughs> the most ironic part, y'all, is on page 69. Y'all ever know that? <laughs> Somebody got that one. Okay. <laughs> That's how I started reading the big book, y'all. Okay. <laughs> 69, 6, I started reading the big book. <laughs> it, yeah. But it's funny part because this joke, this lady told this joke one time. She said she had the same problem I had. She was promiscuous running around. Mr. Promiscuous with everybody. She's having sex with everybody, newcomers, everybody else. And I was supposed to go home, go home and read page 69 in the big book. 
But when she got home, she grabbed her picture her sponsor said to read. So instead of reading 69, she turned to page 96. If y'all ever read 96, let me find 96 and read y'all what she said, okay? Hold on. Let me find it. 96. Remember her problem now, y'all? She wanted to have sex with everybody, okay? <laughs> her problem was, here it is right here, okay? <laughs> 96 says, do not be discouraged if your prospect is not responded once. Seek out another alcoholic and try again. <laughs> it says, you are sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you have to offer. <laughs> Y'all can imagine what she thought about it, right? She must thought, this, this program really is what I need to look for, okay? Anyway, um, so I started reading Big Book, Y'all, okay? Uh, started working the steps. I didn't work no steps. I just, I just would come here and drinking and drunk. And that's all I was doing, y'all. I was still, I was a dry drunk at that point. Because I hadn't worked no steps, had nothing changed. I was still the same person I was when I walked in these doors. The only thing I wasn't doing was drinking and drugging anymore, okay? So that, my, my, I got the sponsor. She told me I had to start working the steps. I said, okay. First of all, she told me I had to find a God of my understanding. But first of all, first of all, she said I had to work step one. And step one says, Wrong side. <laughs> we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, but our lives had become unmanageable. Now, I know my life was unmanageable, y'all, but I told God I didn't think I was powerless, okay? I really thought I had a little power left. But after all the many years I've been doing, you would have thought I would have thought something wrong with this because I ain't getting no more pleasure out of what I was back, back then. So anyway, step two says, can you believe that the power of great self could be restored to sanity? I know I was insane because on one of my suicide attempts, they said I was insane. Y'all remember that? I know I was insane, Okay. But I had no idea what insanity meant. So my sponsor said to me, baby, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. That's what I've been doing in my life. I kept getting messed up, kept drinking and drinking, and expecting something different to happen. Every time I got messed up, y'all, and got drunk, the same thing happened, okay? I kept expecting something different to happen, y'all. That's come I knew, okay, maybe that's really what it is. Now we get to the third step. Made a decision, turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. I had no idea what will and lives are. And if I know will and lives, I had no idea what will and lives are. So I asked my sponsor, What's the will, your will in your life? She said, But when you will, those are your thoughts and your actions. You make a decision to turn your thoughts and your actions over to the care of God. Now, had I really turned my actions off, because I wasn't drinking and drinking no more, right? He had had them. I was not drinking and drinking no more, so he already had my action. But this thing part, I was still waiting. For this, for this time to come, I'm going to have me another drink again in life, right? But I had to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. She understood him. I didn't understand how you do How do you do that, baby? She said, okay, I'm going to show you. But let, me, let me show what life is. She said, I'm going to show you. She gets a glass of water, and she pours, She holds it up on my head. She said, I have just made a decision to pour this glass of water on your head. I am going to duck and dodge and think, and I said, don't you do that to me, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> You make a decision to turn your life, you will, over to the care of God. Well, how do you do that? She said, you work steps four through nine. I went, oh, I had no idea how to turn my life, my will, over to the care of God. You work steps four through nine. So I started on my journey, y'all, to make steps four through nine. And I finally got to step nine. Now, don't get me wrong. This was not simple for me. I, I complicate everything in my life, right? Working the rest of the steps when I, was very complicated for me. But I finally got to step nine, y'all, okay? And they told me I had to forgive my brother. 
Because I hated this because, y'all. I hated this. I hated him, y'all, okay? I remember going to bed night, laying there thinking, if I had a machete with a, with a blade that long, I'd cut him half in two, watch this part fall this way, this part fall this way, and I'd laugh, y'all. I really hated him. Because when I was eight, nine years old, he took my virginity, y'all, and I didn't want to have nothing to do with him no more, okay? My sponsor had to forgive my brother. Can y'all imagine what that means? I had to actually forgive him. I had no idea. She said, baby, you need to pray for him every night. Page, she told me, I'm going to read page 552 in the big book. Let me find page 552, y'all. Hold on. 552 says, in effect, if you have a resentment you need to be free of, you will pray for that person, that thing you resent. You will be free. If you ask in prayer for everything you want for yourself to be given to them, you will be free. Ask for their health, their prosperity, their happiness, and you will be free. Even when you don't really mean it for them, do it anyway, okay? So every night that I go to bed. Now, I'm not supposed to use profanity up in here, but no, I'm not going to use them. I'm going to change it up. Every night I go to bed and say, uh, God, get an SOB, everything he wants in life. <laughs> the next night I say, God, get an MF, everything he needs in life. I did this, y'all, for a long time. Three weeks pay. They said two weeks be gone, right? I went, uh, two months, and still, I was still saying the same thing and feeling it. Y'all know what I mean? But finally, I kept doing it. Every night, I would say, give this man everything he needs in life, everything he wants in life. Give him wealth, health, strength, and love, God. Y'all know, in about, in about three months, I didn't realize I had forgiven him. But instead of asking, calling him, no, I was saying, God, give him wealth, health, strength, and love. And I meant it, y'all. This stuff really does work. I swear to God, this stuff really does work. It may sound stupid. Praying for somebody, gonna make them change. It works, y'all. See, it'll make him change. I'm the one to change, y'all. It's amazing. He by that time he had died though, okay, so I don't know whether he's changed or not. Anyway. <laughs> I was going around telling about I'm sorry. I had to make amends. Tell her about I'm sorry, y'all. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did this. I'm sorry I did that. My sponsor finally told me, because, see, I was saying I'm sorry to you guys, but going back doing the same thing all over again. You know, I do something to you, and I say, I'm sorry. You, you say, okay. I go back and do the same thing three weeks later. So my sponsor, baby, the amends does not mean saying I'm sorry. Amends means you need to change. I didn't know that either. <clears throat> so I had to remember, when I did something wrong to somebody, don't do that no more to that same person or to anybody else. So I have to remember this stuff. This was a learning experience for me, guys. I didn't come here being the, the AA that I am today, okay? Trust me. I had to learn how to do all this stuff y'all taught me how to do. Uh, I thought it was a nice step, you guys. The trains had stopped in my head. Before I got before I got here, guys, my, my hair would be like Grand Central Station. Then 15 million trains off at the same time. 10,000 people getting off. They all talking at the same time in my head. That's my head feeling when I got here, y'all. After I worked that night ship, you guys, I woke up that morning. The sun was shining. The grass was green with dew on it. The leaves on the trees had dew and it was sparkling because the sun was shining on. I went, oh, my God, did I die and go to heaven? I had no idea what it was. I called my sponsor, you know, baby. That's what's called serenity, baby. You finally found serenity. You guys, that's all I ever looked for all my life was serenity. All I ever wanted in life, y'all, was to feel like I felt that morning when I woke up. I drank, drugs, used men, everything else. It felt like I felt that morning. I knew I had found the guys, okay? I knew this is it, okay? Even outside my window, the birds were chirping. Outside my window, I had no desire to kill them, y'all. 
It's amazing what had happened to me, okay? <laughs> then, you guys, the promises started coming true. <clears throat> they read the promises up here. If we're pasting with this phase of our development, we'll be amazed before we're halfway through. I used to wonder where halfway was. Anybody know where halfway is? I didn't know where halfway was. But I found out it didn't matter where halfway was. You see, I'd be amazed before I was halfway through. Guys, I was amazed way before I was halfway through, okay? Since we're going to find a new freedom and a new happiness. In 1964, I walked around with Martin Luther King with signs that said, free at last, free at last, thank God I might, I'm free at last. And I was still a slave, guys, to the drugs, alcohol, men, still a slave, guys. It's amazing. The promise said we're going to find a new freedom and happiness. We will not forget the prayers and we will shut the door on it. We will comprehend, comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. I never knew what serenity was, y'all. Serenity. I had no idea what it meant. I thought serenity meant freedom from the storm. That's what I always thought serenity meant, freedom from the storm. But you guys, my experience with that death was serenity meant that I can find peace in the middle of the storm. No matter how stormy it gets today, guys, because I have worked these steps to the best of my ability, find a higher power. I no longer have to worry about serenity anymore. I can find it anywhere I want it, y'all. I got peace in the middle of the storm. No matter how stormy it gets out there, you guys, I know that I'm okay. I remember I had an airplane. Coming, I, I, was, I was a consultant. I, I didn't tell you that, did I? I became a software consultant. I started traveling all around the country and stuff. And uh, on my flight one time, coming home, we just boarded the plane, and we're just taking off, and, and, and the captain says, all right, sit back and relax. You reach that altitude of 37,000 feet. Sit back, relax under your seatbelt, you know, and, and enjoy your ride to wherever I was going. But three minutes later, he came back on the phone. He said, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we've lost an engine. And at first, I mean, what, what plan am I on? Some planes got three, some got four, some got two. We lost an engine. I've been the ones that had two. We lost one of them. Everybody in the plane was like, scared of you. We're turning around, coming back to where I started from, right? They were scared of you, y'all. They always said, bring me a drink. Bring me this. Bring me a double scotch. But see, I'm an alcoholic, so I knew I couldn't drink. But what you guys taught me in these rooms was I had a high power. See? Did I tell you about my high power? Did I, tell you? I didn't tell you about my high power either, did I? Well, let me go back to that. I'm sorry. Let me go back to that. Y'all come back to find a power greater than myself. That was hard for me, you guys. Because, see, to me, God, I went to church. Remember, my mom took me to church when I was a kid. And God was over the pulpit in church on Sunday. This white man with his long, fine brown hair and big, beautiful blue eyes, okay? That's what I thought God was. So y'all told me how to find a God of my understanding. So I went home that night. My sponsor said, go home, write everything with your God to be to you, baby. I went home that night. Being funny. My God is six foot four. Remember, I got soap in the 80s, y'all. My God is six foot four. He got an afro out the hill. He wore bell bottom pants. He said, okay, give him a name. I thought she was going to cuss me out. She didn't. He said, okay, give him a name. So there was a group called Slide and Family Stone. Have y'all ever heard of them before? But there was this, there was this, this the slide's name is Sylvester. So they had a song out called, I Want to Take You Higher. So I decided to call my high power Sylvester. So she said, okay, baby, that's your high power. So every morning get up and say, please, Sylvester, when you go to bed, and I said, thank you, Sylvester. And that's what I did, y'all, for a long time. But because of this program and you guys in these rooms, you see, I call him God today, okay? I even go to church today, guys. You see, because I found out that God is in my head, that he ain't no color. I don't care what color he is, you know. God is just, he's, he's an 
image in my head of a power greater than myself. And that's all I had to do. I was trying to power greater than me and stop using drugs and alcohol. You guys, I am so grateful I found y'all, okay? Ah. Uh, Your whole outlook and attitude about life will change. I remember going to the Grand Canyon before I got sober, y'all. And I remember they said it's one of the seven wonders of the world, right? I walked over to the edge and looked in and thought, what's the big deal? It's just a hole. <laughs> Subsequently, I have gone back to the Grand Canyon in sobriety, guys. And I walked over to the rim and I looked in. And yeah, y'all, it's just a hole. But what Awesome hole it is. Y'all hear me? Awesome hole, okay? <laughs> you know, y'all told me that God was doing for me what I could not do for myself. I promise you guys, God has done for me what I could have never have done for myself. Because if females, my family die young, y'all. Uh, I ain't dead. <laughs> and if I woke up this morning, I wasn't dead. Uh, I'm 74 years old, y'all, and still, still hanging in here, okay? I got sponsors who are young and dumb, and they you know, they they had me all over the, all over, they had me, what's the name of that place we go to, y'all? Oh, they had me in the battle the other day, y'all. Had me walk at the battle. Y'all know I ain't got a business doing it in the battle. I'm 74 years old. Why am I doing it in the battle? But I had a damn good time. I'm sorry. I had a good time. I had a good time, y'all. Okay. Yeah, you know, um, life is going on. Life is great. Life is going good. And February 2003. I woke up that morning, guys, and my life's going great. I woke up that morning. I had flown home from a job assignment, and I was I was working in Philadelphia, somewhere. I had flown home for a job assignment, and I woke up that morning, and I promise y'all, I didn't know where I was. I didn't know how to, I went, to, went down to my car, cranked the car up. I had to go, I was going to the going to the office that morning. I get to the office and I get there. I don't know how I got to the office, y'all. Don't ask me that because I don't remember nothing about that night, that day. But they, we had a gate to go to, we had to slide the car to get in the gate. So I get signed my car and no, I didn't. I didn't get that far because I didn't know what the hell to do. I drove up there, I stopped, and went, what, what do I do? The, the guard said, I said, can we help you, ma'am? I told him I worked there, showed him my ID. He let me in. So I go into the office. By this time, I feel a little bit better. But they said, Doc, I walked in and said, Doc, you don't look good. Said, you need to, you need to go to the doctor. Because she knew I didn't look good. So I went to the doctor, you guys. I found out I'd had a stroke. Okay? It wiped my complete memory banks out. I had no memory left. Yeah, I didn't know how to do nothing no more, okay? I had to learn how to turn my computer on again, guys. This was in 2003, okay? I had to learn how to do everything again. They told me I would never go back to work again. And I thought to myself, if I don't go back to work, how am I going to eat? Y'all can see I ain't lost a pound, right? So y'all know I'm still eating, right? Uh... I thought I was down for the count, y'all. I really did, okay? I was about ready to go out there and do something really dumb, like start drinking again. And then one night I remember somebody coming in my head. Somebody could see in my head and said, Doc, God didn't bring you this far to let you down. But you guys, it took me about three or four days to realize that God did not bring me this far to let me down, okay? So I get back on the count, y'all. I get back. I still didn't know how to do nothing, okay? I didn't know how to turn my computer on. They told me I would never be able to live alone again. Oh, Lord, and I'm such a bad person to live with, okay? <clears throat> but in the, one of those problems they told me about, the fear of economic insecurity will leave us. It finally left me, guys. Because here I am. I don't know how I'm going to do nothing. I don't know what I'm going to do. 
today, guys, because of that, because of my high power, this program, I went through six months, eight months of not being able to do anything. And one day I found inside of myself that I prayed. That's what I did. God, help me to get back to my feet so I can start doing what I used to do before. You guys, and today I'm able to. Now, don't get me wrong. I still forget shit. Forget stuff, okay? <laughs> don't get me wrong. My sponsor have to ask all my best, you know. Back then, I was calling people asking. I would, I would stop and say, call somebody on the phone and say, here's what I see on the side. How do I get to where I'm going? How do I get home? Today, you guys, I still forget little things. And my sponsor, of course, make sure I do. That's why I decided I want to go sponsor nobody because I, start, I tried to sponsor people when I first came back, and they tell me this stuff. And I tell them, we, we work a step. And we're gonna. I said, but baby, you're on step two. They said, no, ma'am, we did step two. I can remember. What is it? Okay, you're on step. We're on step seven. You know, they take my kind of stuff. So the sponsors I have now told me, y'all know I got a memory problem. So don't try to lie to me because I ain't gonna let y'all get away with it if you do, okay? So I have one of the sponsors to y'all to keep me on my own feet, okay? To keep me going right, okay? Today, guys, because I have worked this program to the best of my ability, I actually found a high power. That 12 step says, haven't had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. Because I actually had that spiritual awakening, okay? The morning I woke up and the sun was shining. That was my spiritual awakening, guys, okay? Practice these principles on all our face. What principles? Anybody talking about no principles? I ain't nothing about no principles, y'all. Y'all realize that they don't tell you what the principles are. So I went back and asked my sponsor, okay, what are the principles? She told me every step has a principle. And I wrote this after I got through having the work in the 12 step and had a spiritual awakening. The job then was to practice the principles in all my affairs. I thought I'd go back and work the steps all over again. She said, no, baby, now your job is to practice these principles in your everyday affairs. I found out what to put out, found out what the principles were, guys, and that's what I do today. See, I practice honesty, humility. I practice these principles in my everyday affairs, okay? <clears throat> I'm no longer have to work the steps. God had a God of my understanding, okay? But my life first today, you know, today, guys, my inside and my outside match. Before I got to these rooms, guys, I'd be happy go lucky on the outside and dying on the inside. Because of this program and my higher power and these steps and people like you in this room, they my my inside and my outside match. When I'm smiling on the outside, my inside is smiling too. I no longer have to lie about what I'm feeling, guys. This program is amazing, guys. I tell you how it is, okay? You know, it says pain is mandatory. Suffering is optional. I had to go through a lot of pain to get here, guys. But because of you guys in these rooms, I no longer have to suffer here. I can wake up smiling, go to bed smiling. Today, guys, my life works because of you all in these rooms, okay? My life actually works. And all I do is go to some meetings. Y'all hear me tell me? That's all I do. Go to some meetings, work some steps, practice some principles. My life works great. And then I like living today, okay? Y'all told me the recovery was portable. Take it anywhere you go. It is. I've lived in a whole bunch of cities. I think I've lived in, well, I've been to at least 40, I think we counted them, I've been to 40, 40, 40, 47 of the 50. And I find meetings everywhere I go, y'all. It's amazing. There are meetings everywhere I go. I remember I was in Phoenix working for a while, and I go to Phoenix, and I, I share my story in Phoenix a couple of times. And then, um, I guess my name is Dot. I'm, I'm an addict. I'm an alcoholic, which is what I say. Put your mom being to me, and that's what I say. I live in Texas. You don't live in Texas. You know you live in Philadelphia. I really lived in Texas at the time, okay? But because I travel everywhere in the world, nobody knew where I live. That's, I could have done that thing I wanted to do back then, okay? Uh, 
They told me I could be alone and don't have to be lonely. That's the most important part of the day, you guys. Before I got to this room, I could not stay in the house. 15 minutes, I turned the TV on. They guys, I have learned from you guys how to be alone in this world and not be lonely. Ain't that amazing? Now, this, 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 I'm sorry, y'all. I have to keep telling how amazing this program is. You guys taught me how to live. I thought y'all wants to tell me how to stop drinking and drugging. You guys taught me how to live in this world and how to be happy living in this world without drinking and drugging. I never thought that was possible, guys. But you all made it possible for me, okay? 1980. I had been in the program for 80. I came in the program in 85. I remember back in 1980, five years before I found you guys. I had gone to undergrad at night, got drunk as a skunk, y'all. Throwing up, drunk as a skunk. But now, my car had auto pilot. I knew it did. Because every night I would get home in my car, it had auto, had to have auto pilot. Because I woke up the next morning and be parked in front of my house where it's supposed to be. And I knew I don't remember getting the day, okay? So I thought my car had auto pilot, y'all. I had gone to undergrad at night and had, had a few drinks. Smoked a little weed, did a whole lot of other stuff, okay? Uh, I was going home. You know, downtown, we got all these one-way streets downtown. I'm making a right turn on this street that I thought was supposed to be Cortland, but it's really some other street. But I'm, I'm turning the wrong way on the one-way street. And this tra- I see all this traffic coming. I'm drunk now. Don't forget this. I'm drunk. I see this traffic coming at me. I panic. So I take the gear. I shift. I'm trying to back up. But I go through reverse and go to drive. So the car lunge forward and hit this car in front of me. The guy got out of the car, y'all, screaming, yelling, fussing, you hit my car. No, he said, you hit my Mercedes. <laughs> he calls police, y'all. I know I'm going to jail because I'm drunk. Not only that. I was leaving the party that night, and there was still an open, fifth, open quarter J&B scotch on there. I'm taking it with me. So I take the open bottle of J&B scotch. It's in the back seat of the car. I know I'm going to jail, y'all. I'm drunk as a skunk, and I hit a car. Got an open court J&B Scott in the back seat. I know I'm going to jail. The police get there, and because there was no damage to either car, first of all, they told me to go sit in the back in the back of the police car. But y'all, if I sit in the back of the police, they would spend all the alcohol in my breath, right? So I'm outside, well, October. I'm outside walking around, trying to let the breath, trying to freshen my breath up. They came back and said, okay, ma'am, there's no damage to the car. You go home. And I went home. No, I didn't. They told me to go home. I go back get to my car, but I had left the lights on, y'all. And my battery was dead. I'm downtown Atlanta, Georgia, 1980. This is for AAA and all that other shit. You know, they, we didn't have cell phones either, okay? We didn't have cell phones or nothing. What do I do, y'all? I don't know how to get home. My car, my battery's dead. I'm sitting there. What do I do? What the normal person would have done would probably done something other than what I did. I reached in the back seat, get that fifth and finish drinking, y'all. By this time, I am so drunk as ridiculous, okay? I wake up the next morning, guys. My car is parked in front of my house. I don't know how it got there, but it's parked in front of my house, y'all. I get up, I look around. Whoever it was that got me home, I vaguely, vaguely turned the back of my mind. I remember this guy asking me, are you okay, ma'am? I vaguely remember that stuff. That's how I remember, though. But I knew he hadn't raped me because I was still dry. Women, you, women know what I'm talking about, right? I hadn't been raped in nothing, okay? So I got up and I know I said, oh, God, I'm, I'm going to stop doing this, but I'm going to stop doing this, okay? I swore off, y'all. I swear to God, I swore off. Three weeks later, I remember thinking to myself, I bet it was somebody that slipped me a doggone Mickey in my drink. It was that doggone scotch that started me doing this. That's what it was. So y'all know what I did, don't I switched to cognac. <laughs> <laughs> but I kept on drinking until 1985 when I found you guys, okay? It was after that accident that I woke up the next morning, three, four months, three days later, three, 
the next morning I woke up and I wrote a poem, guys. After I had the accident with that man back then, I wrote a poem. And the poem's called The Road to Nowhere. And that's exactly where I was when I got to this room. On the road to nowhere and getting nowhere fast, guys. Now, I wrote it so I'm permissible because I'm an AA, okay? I can tell y'all. And the poem goes like, I'm telling my poem, but it goes like this. It says, let me see if I can find it because I'm probably not going to remember it. Oh, here it is. It's my poem that I wrote after I had the next time with that guy. And looking for somewhere to go, y'all. My poem is called The Road to Nowhere. And that's exactly where I was the day that I found you guys in these rooms, okay? It says, the road to nowhere is crowded with people from every land. And it always seems to remind me of a murky pool of quicksand. Because the further down the road you go, the more you start to sink. You lose your sense of direction. You may even forget how to think. Because the people going down that road have no reason to use their mind. Because the crowd on the road to nowhere will surely keep them in line. And if they try to turn around and go back the other way, the crowd on the road to nowhere will surely convince them to stay. But I found a secret passage. It'll take you out of that crowd. It leads to the road to somewhere, and there you can feel very proud. Now, the road to somewhere is lonely because there are very few people there. But all the people on that road are really going somewhere. They may not know where they're going, but they're sure what they'll find. They know that the road to somewhere will bring them peace of mind. They found the secret of happiness. You can tell by the look on their face. They got off the road to nowhere, and now they're going someplace. If you just find yourself on that road, the road that's going nowhere, stop. Take a look around. You'll only find losers there. People with good intentions, but never carrying them through. People who make excuses for all the wrong things they do. People who live an entire lifetime full of fear and doubt. People who may never know what happiness is all about. But if you want to be a winner and you need to find peace of mind, get off that road to nowhere and leave that crowd behind. You guys, I got off that road to nowhere April 1985. And I have not regretted one moment of leaving that crowd behind, guys. You see, today I tell the world, I don't know yet if God has opened the gates of heaven and let me in. You guys, but I know for a fact he's opened the gates of hell and he's let me out, okay? And for that, y'all, I'm truly grateful. And thank y'all for allowing me to take y'all's time for the last Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.